The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The book of Psalms, we will read in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Let's pray together. So Lord, we've prayed a few times in this service already, and we're praying again because we think, we believe, we need your help. We need your help, the help of your Spirit to come and open our eyes and comfort us and convict us and exhort us and encourage us in all the ways that are needed. We need your help to see, we need your help to feel, we need your help to live in a way that would show that you're precious to us. And so we come and we ask for it. And we have such great hope that you will meet us because you love your people. You love all those made in your image. And you love your glory. So come and work among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I dive in today, just a note of thanks to, to Bruce and to Rick for filling in the last couple weeks. It is a good thing to have a guy who's been an elder for about 25 years and another guy who's been a pastor for about 40 years fill the pulpit when you're gone. So I'm always just glad they let me come back after I listen to those guys preach and I'm really grateful, grateful for the way they filled in. A few weeks ago, uh, Roe v. Wade fell uh, along with federal protection for abortion. That's a good thing. It's a good thing when the, the laws of the land accord with the heart of our God. And it seemed good to me to take a moment in our life together here to think about it together uh, from the Word of God. And, and the reason for that is that we're a people of the book and citizens of heaven. And any time kind of the, the culture is ranting and raging and raving about something, it's good for us to stop and say, what does God say? What, what does he say? We don't, we don't submit to or align ourselves with anything other than what the Word of God says, right? We don't want to be aligned or submit to anything because of any allegiance except to Christ first and foremost. We want to look and say, what does God say? So I have two goals today. Goal number one is very simple and probably most important, that we would again see and savor the truth that all human beings from embryo to elderly are made in the image of God and worthy of life. It's worth seeing it 
and savoring it again, loving it again, enjoying it again. And second, that we would answer the question, so now what? And when I ask that question as a pastor, I'm not asking it on a very grand scale, on a very heroic scale. I'm asking it for us. (laughs) So now what? Bethlehem South Campus. So now what in your neighborhood? So now what in these south suburbs? And the reason I ask is that the church, I think, is redeemed to more and more in every moment fully reflect the reality of God in the place that it is. We've seen that in Genesis over and over again. We've seen that even in the last two weeks of Genesis. That's what we're here for. So I don't get saved and just go right away to be with Jesus. We're here to reflect his image more and more in the place we are. All humans are made in the image of God, whether they trust in Jesus or agree with our positions or not. And yet, and yet, because of the fall in Genesis 3 and the sin sickness that, that blinds us to reality, those redeemed by Jesus are those that can most fully and freely and joyfully by the Spirit see Jesus and be changed into his image, which means that we can love what he loves, say what he says, and do what he does in a way that those not redeemed by Jesus simply can't, right? Those who are not born again, they can't see the kingdom of God, but those who are born again are meant to see it and reflect it. Let me show you a verse for that, 2 Corinthians 3.18, which I think is how the Christian life basically works. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. So the purpose, one of the purposes of redemption is to create a new people that would reflect God as image bearers. A people that spread the reality of what God said is good and true and beautiful to every corner of the earth, including this little corner of the earth, (laughs) these little south suburbs, these little neighborhoods. And what I would like to have us believe, and I kind of said it in a welcome, is that there's nothing more real in the world than God. I just want us to believe that, first and foremost. There's nothing more real than God. His plans, His purposes, His promises. Nothing more real than Him. There's nothing more real in understanding our world, understanding how we're meant to flourish and how our neighbors are meant to flourish and live in it than the Word of God. (laughs) Nothing better for us or for our neighbors. Nothing more true. And so in Christ By the Spirit, we're being transformed to see reality more clearly, to see what is true more clearly. And so we we stop and we look at the things the culture is raging and ranting on both sides about, and we say, "What what does God say? Conform us to your image. Show us what's true. Show us what's next. Help us love the truth and say the truth and show the truth. Because we love you and we love our neighbors. So we're going to try to do that today. Go to the Word, love this truth, and hopefully see what God calls us to do with it going forward. So point number one, savor the truth, embrace it, and enjoy it. So what I want you to do is start out by thinking about your favorite food. And if you think I have lots of food analogies, it's because I like to eat. 
And so anytime I think about life, food is so basic. I often do Thanksgiving analogies around Thanksgiving because I love it so much. And if you think about your favorite food for a little while, you would probably agree with me that it's not just enough to know about it, right? To know about that dessert you love, to know about that meal you love. You want to taste it, right? You want to enjoy it. And if you care about other people, right, you want to invite other people to taste it and enjoy it with you. You want to keep coming back to it. And that's what I want to challenge us to do with God's truth. Not just know about it, but embrace it and be all in. And one of the reasons I want us to do that, to taste it and love it, is because when you taste it and love it and it fills your heart, it's much harder to just know about it and weaponize it. To know about it and just throw it at people (laughs) like a club. But I want us to be all in, to love it, to enjoy how good it is that God does things the way He does things. Not just know that's our position, but to know this is so good. Isn't it good? Isn't it a wonderful thing that God does things the way He does? And savoring the truth of humans made in God's image and worth will not only work for the cause of the unborn, and it will work for the cause of the unborn, but it will also keep us as the church from the kind of hypocrisy that would cry against those who don't support the cause of the unborn, but in here in our church devalue human dignity in other ways, including things like pornography and abuse. We don't want to be hypocrites. We want to be consistent people who love the image of God wherever the image of God is. And so, the truth I want us to savor today is this. Every human being, from embryo to elderly, was created by God, has all their days planned by God, which means every human being has unbelievable worth derived from God, creating them and ordaining their days. So embryo to elderly, created by God, days planned by God, which means purpose and worth brimming from every life made in the image of God. So let's see it together. First, we'll go somewhere that we've gone about a hundred times in the last few months, Genesis one twenty-six to 27. Here's what it says. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I've said it before, but we all know intrinsically just by being human and being alive We all know intrinsically the worth of human beings made in the image of God over and above the worth of every other thing. So I remember the first time I held my golden retriever, Molly, on my lap on the way home with her. And I loved Molly. And golden retrievers are about the best animals you could ever imagine. So I remember that, and I, I loved her. And yet, I remember the first time I held Iris in my arms after she was born. There's no comparison. I love Molly. I love Molly more than you should love a dog. (laughs) And there's no comparison between 
Molly and Iris. Why? Because in my arms, I'm holding an image bearer, right? After the likeness of God and after my likeness in some mysterious way. There's no comparison. We all know it. God makes humans after his image to reflect his glory, and everyone made is worthy of life and dignity, male and female. Worthy of life and dignity, no matter the color of skin or type of hair. Worthy of life and dignity when born without complications. And worthy of life and dignity when born with serious disability. Worthy of life and dignity from the moment of conception to the last breath of life. There is a mysterious and obvious worth to human beings. It's mysterious that you couldn't quite say all that it is, which is why theologians have argued about it for centuries and centuries, and obvious and that's just, duh! They're more worthy than horses and cats and even golden retrievers. Listen to Psalm 139, 13-16, get even more specific. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I'm not sure there's a more personal passage in the Bible this passage, it really should take our breath away. I remember the first time I looked at this passage in depth was uh, when my wife was the, the residential supervisor at a group home. We lived in the basement. Our residents lived upstairs. And preaching this, I got to preach this text at a funeral. Talk about this life brimming with purpose and meaning that in so many corners of society had just been completely left behind. It should take our breath away because God Almighty, creator of the universe, got out his knitting kit, right? And he, he delicately and intricately and fearfully and wonderfully put us together in our mother's womb. That's insane. That, that's crazy to think about. Do you feel his care and attention toward you and everyone in the world? Does your soul know it very well? His eyes were on us, planning every day of our lives when we were an unformed substance. So when life began, when our Creator saw us and planned all of our days, life begins at conception because God creates and plans and purposes every day of every human being from eternity past to eternity future. And not only does he form our very selves, but notice the same word being used on purpose, he forms our days. Forms you, you sitting here formed by him, all the processes of how tall you are and what color your hair is and all that stuff going on from the moment of conception, him knitting you together, and you're sitting here because he planned this day for you. Think of the the care and the purposes This means from the moment of conception to the last breath of life, it's all brimming with the divine purposes of the Creator. Every moment. Kids, 
Have you ever built something with blocks or magnets or Legos? What do you think of the best thing you've ever built? Now, do you think you could build a person? Are you that good with Legos? <laughs> like a real person, not a pretend person. God did that for every person you will ever see in the world. God did that. He put you together and he planned you would be here today just like everyone else. The culture that we live in doesn't know any better. It doesn't know these things. So it wants to measure worth by productivity. What can you produce? What can you do for us? We measure it by God's intentionality. The culture wants to measure it by ability. How able are you? We measure it by God's Word. The culture wants to measure it by convenience and easy days. We measure it by God's purposes that fill every day of every human's life, the convenient ones and the impossibly hard ones. And both exist. (laughs) Both are real, and God has intended for all of it. And I hope this truth reminds you today that God sees you and has seen you from the moment you're conceived, that He formed you and He's formed your days, that He's got plans and purposes for every day so that there is no purposeless day, And you get the privilege of knowing that as a believer whose eyes are open to this truth. That he's got plans for you that if you feel stuck or frustrated or weary, as if your life has no meaning, you can embrace and enjoy this truth again. God created me. God knit me together. He saw me. He planned my days. There is no greater purpose. There is no higher calling than the King of kings and Lord of lords planning my days and giving me my purpose for every human being. He made you. He sees you. And if you've been redeemed, you have eyes to see this and to say this to those around you. So I hope this morning, amidst all the noise, that you would just again savor, enjoy, embrace this truth. Isn't isn't the reality that the world is this way? Amazing. That God did it this way? Amazing. Point number two, say the truth. We're to expose and encourage. So the reason it's so important to embrace and enjoy the truth and not just know it is because loving what is true is the first step to saying what is true for the right reasons. We do need to say what's true, even when it's hard, even when the culture around us thinks we're old-fashioned or bigoted or hateful or hindering progress. Right, that's, I've seen all those headlines in the last month or so. But if we are saying things because God has said them and we trust Him and we enjoy His truth because it's so good, then we'll speak to others in the hope that they might enjoy it with us. It will feel like an invitation, not a condemnation. And as we say the truth, there's a couple passages that give us categories for how we interact with a sin-sick world around us. And the first one is to interact as lights of love. So if turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you know about Ephesians, chapters 1 to 3 are this great gospel doctrine. Chapters 4 to 6 are kind of the so what. And chapter 5 is really telling us how to begin to walk in love. How do we walk in love in our lives? And we're going to look at verses 
7 to 14. Ephesians 5, 7 to 14. Here's what it says. Therefore, do not become partners with them in their sin. That's what it's talking about. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So let me talk to you kids for a second about what this passage is saying we're supposed to do in the world. So here's what I want you to imagine, kids, for a moment. Imagine you're in a dark, cold room. It's been dark and cold for a while. And you finally find something you can cuddle up against, and it's kind of warm and fuzzy, and you finally feel kind of good. Now I want you to imagine, after doing that for a little while, that someone comes and turns on the light, and you see that you're cuddling with a lion that's getting ready to eat you. Would you say that it was a loving thing for that person to turn on the light? To, to show you what was really there, to show you what was really going on. Well, that, that's the goal of Ephesians 5 here. We're not trying, when we say the truth, we're not trying to win an argument. We're not trying to be right. We have the freedom that we don't need to say the truth with extra force or extra edge or extra emojis or sarcastic reels that show how utterly dumb everyone else is. Isn't it freeing to not have to do that? <laughs> you don't have to do that. We simply avoid the darkness. We walk as children of light that enjoy the light. We speak the light of the truth into the darkness. We expose the lies and we plead that they will enjoy the light and not play with the lion anymore. That's what this is. Because when we say it, it becomes visible and it becomes light. And we do have to expose it. We have to enjoy and savor and love this truth so much that we say it clear enough that it's just clear that abortion is murder. Just say it. We have to point out the way our culture diminishes the value of the unborn and the value of the elderly and pray and plead that it would stop. We have to say that those that are disabled have immeasurable worth. We have to say children are not an inconvenience to be discarded. Why do we say it? Why? Because we love God. We love those who are made in His image. And we want others to join us in our enjoyment of walking in the light with God. So we clearly, humbly, courageously, from a heart of love, not condemnation, say what's true and expose the darkness. And as we do that, we have the best news in the world for those that have been caught in the darkness. Like we were once caught, and like we still are caught in some ways. So listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 20 to 21. It says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. It means we're, we're people living in a country that's not our own, a place that's not our own. 
What's our job as ambassadors? What's the job of the Christian in this world? We're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God making his appeal through us, through you, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your family members. God himself, almighty, making his appeal through you, just saying, Please be reconciled. Please come out of darkness into light. Please turn from your wickedness and come into his presence. Please turn from being a slave to sin and come into the family. Please be adopted. Would you come in? Please, please be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is really good news for those who've been caught in darkness. We can call people out of darkness and into the light of Christ. We can tell people the good news that though their sins are many, His mercy is so much more. We can tell people that their sins are forgiven and their shame can be covered by the righteousness of God because He became sin on their behalf even though He lived a perfect life. That's the best news in the world. The great news of the gospel is that as the light shines in and exposes what is dark and the sin is exposed and the shame comes flooding in, God does not leave them exposed and uncovered. He covers them with his own righteousness. You're mine. You're mine. There is no sin that devalues the image of God, whether abortion or pornography or racism, or abuse that is too big for the grace of God. No sin that's too big for the grace of God. No one can out-sin God's grace. No one can out-sin God's grace. Think about the Bible. Think about the heroes of the Bible with me and the grace of God. No one can out-sin God's grace. Not David, who forced himself on Bathsheba and murdered her husband. Right? Not Not Paul, who went around murdering Christians. Not Peter, who denied Jesus and made all sorts of mistakes in his life. There are no heroes in the story except for Jesus. There is no one who can outsin the grace of Christ. And so as the light floods in and sin is exposed and shame floods in, which it will, We have a message of the self-giving love of God for those who have committed self-centered acts of sin. We have a message of the perfect righteousness of God for those who were afraid and made a decision that now haunts them for life. We have a message of the perfect joy and peace and rest in Jesus that can fulfill longings for joy and peace and rest for the anxious soul trying to find it in worldly pleasures and conveniences and ways to cover up the shame. We have the gospel. We have the gospel as ambassadors of Jesus. We get to say, come, wherever you are, come and be reconciled to God. So we want to see it, we want to show it, or say it, and then we want to show the truth. We want to embody and engage it. So not only do we savor the truth and say the truth, we get to show the truth of the gospel. We get to love because we've been loved. Right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the, that's the kind of love that we embody. Not the, hey, come take my side, then I'll love you. Hey, 
Come be where I am, then I'll love you. Hey, clean up your act, then I'll love you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen to uh, just earlier, right before the, the passage about being ambassadors, is this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 15. Listen to what it says about what happens to those who have been saved by grace. It says, For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us, controls what we're thinking, what we're doing, how we're acting. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. (laughs) means your life's not about you anymore. And that's the most freeing thing in the world. The more your life is about you, the smaller your world is. The more quickly depression and anxiety will come. The more your life is completely controlled, given over to making much of Jesus, the more you're just free. The love of Christ controls and compels us to no longer live for ourselves, but follow in his self-giving footsteps for the sake of his name. If we say... If we say we believe in the worth of human beings made in God's image and we believe in the good news of the self-giving love of Jesus, then Christians will necessarily, by the power of the Spirit, by the control of the love of Christ in their lives, begin to move towards suffering and need. This is what we want to do. Because <laughs> we were suffering, we were needy, we need to move towards it. We're compelled to love because he first loved us and to live for his name. And I, sometime I, I want us to think together about just like the, the finiteness of our lives. In a world that tells you you need to be infinitely in the known, infinitely have an opinion on everything. I, I want us to, to think together about the, the, the responsibility of our lives, that we feel the responsibility to say everything and do everything and know everything, but what if God's calling you to embody the love of Christ right where he's put you? Right here in these neighborhoods. Right here in these suburbs. It is so tempting to read a blog and then post before we pray. It is so tempting to join the frustrated, sarcastic, cynical, and outraged culture. To want to fight fire with fire. To want to say a clever thing that makes other people look not so clever. Listen to Romans twelve nineteen to 21. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When's the last time you're on, online and saw something you really, really hated and thought, I should get dinner with them? On me. I, I should buy them a coffee. <laughs> I should make sure all their needs are met. I should, I should get to know them and understand where they're, where they're coming from and, and, and overcome evil with good. Right? We don't quickly think that because it's not natural. 
Right? This is a supernatural thing by the Spirit. And the, and the Word of God is written to conform us and to shape us where it knows we're going to be prone to going off on our own. But this, this Romans 12, 2 Corinthians 5 kind of mindset has been the legacy of the church throughout all of history to move towards their enemies with love like Jesus did for them, to move towards suffering and need, to have a faith that's so full of hope and full of joy and so settled and so sure that it can't be shaken that it actually works itself out in love. So listen to a couple of verses from James with me. James 1.27 Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Or think of James 2, verses 14 to 16. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Does that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? In other words, faith always works through the love of Christ it has been saved by to move towards others in that same love. It's the legacy of the church in history. So I'm going to give you an example of it so you can kind of put yourself in this moment with the church of all time, with our ancestry. So in the Roman world, uh, the type of things done to children and okay to be done to children were, were awful. <laughs> we don't want to talk about them here. Forms of abortion were legal. Uh, forms of child sacrifice to the gods were legal. And those things happened regularly, but most common, most common was this practice of child abandonment. So if you had a child and decided it would cause you emotional or physical distress, it was legal and even encouraged in some provinces to simply leave that child out in the elements to die. It's a common practice. Imagine walking through your neighborhood and there's just kids outside left there to die. So Christians, what they began doing because they believed in the image of God, because <laughs> they believed they'd been loved by Jesus, the church began to rescue these little ones. This really sweet picture of just embodying the gospel, showing the gospel. They began to bring them into their homes and raise them as their own children. And oftentimes, the two groups that were most left outside were the disabled. Does that sound familiar? And then little girls more often because little girls in that society couldn't work, couldn't bring any income. They were just an extra burden. So these Christians were taking in not only little children, but little children that society didn't value and were not going to really bring them any uh, worldly value, worldly help. They're, they're taking them in, bringing them into their homes, and raising them as their own. They're also known to come alongside poor mothers, welcome them, in, welcome them in, because oftentimes husbands died or left them for another woman, which is very common in that day and age. So here's what I want to do. I want to read from a history letter called the Epistle to Diognetus. And chapter 5 is entitled, The Manners of the Christians. It's this letter from this guy who's writing to this very important fellow saying, let me tell you what I saw in the Christians that just changed everything in my life. It's basically what he's doing. You can read the whole letter online anytime you want to. 
So here's what he says. He says, They marry, as do all others, but they don't share the marriage bed. Right? So they marry, but they're not doing all the other stuff. They beget children, but they don't destroy their offspring. Why does he say that? Because it was so common to destroy your offspring that he says they don't do it. They never do it. In fact, they take them in as their own. They have a, a common table, but not a common bed. In other words, they're generous, but they're pious. They're in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but it's clear they're citizens of heaven. They love all men, even though they're persecuted by all. They're insulted, and they always repay the insult with honor. They do good, even though they're punished as evildoers. You imagine someone writing that in our day. Wouldn't that be great? I want to read you one more thing. There's an emperor named Julian, and he was really the last pagan emperor of Rome before Rome kind of went the way of Christianity as the national religion. And, and this is taken from something he said to someone, and he said this angry. Right? Julian was frustrated because he was pretty dedicated to the Roman gods, and these Christians were really, really messing it up for him. They were really frustrating him. Here's what he says. He says, the pagan priests, those are his priests, they neglect the poor. But these hated Galileans have devoted themselves to works of charity. In other words, he's saying, this is really bad PR, right? And you can go and read history and see all the ways that Julian actually tried to kickstart programs that his priests would take care of the poor, but whatever was in his priests and his, his religion, it didn't have enough in it to actually keep it going. So it just kept failing and petering out. And here's what he says, these impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours also welcoming them into their agape meals. In other words, he's saying, this, these people are messing everything up. It's really bad PR. Our religion looks really bad because they're, they're doing this over and over again. And, and here's what happened. A few years after that comment, and because of the kindness of those Christians who were rescuing children, abandoning children was made a crime. Isn't that amazing? It, it actually changed. So the self-giving love of Christ through the church of Christ transformed a society from the inside out by shining the light of love into the dark places of their society. And this wasn't heroic or extreme to them. It was just them in their neighborhoods looking around and seeking to show the love of Christ to the vulnerable and even to their enemies. They weren't thinking, let's start a campaign Let's do something heroic, right? Let's do something amazing. They're just going, there's a baby made in the image of God. We've got to bring him in. We can't just let him stay there. And so maybe as the courts have moved the decision back to the states, it's really the time where it's gone back to the church, where it's come back to us. Perhaps now is the time we're like never before. We partner with Amnion Pregnancy Center to help men and women with unplanned pregnancies get physical needs met in a way that will lead them to see their ultimate need for Jesus. You should look them up. You should say, how do I volunteer? What do they need? How can I be a part of this in these south suburbs? Perhaps now is the time for us to show we care about the preciousness of life in our own church. Right? What if we never had a, a need for nursery volunteers again. 
because you were all in to love the littles. I can take a week. My goodness, they're made in the image of God. What if Sarah never had to ask again for volunteers in the nursery? They're just loving on these little ones made in the image of God. What if you got involved in children's ministry? What if you got involved in our disability ministry and loved those with disabilities among us? What if you went and tried to visit orphans and the widows among us? What if the church just started doing this among ourselves? Maybe now is the time for us to be a church that has a gospel culture that welcomes those who walk in with brokenness and shame and tells them of the hope in Jesus and helps them heal. That people know this is a place where I can bring all my garbage and they're just going to point me to Jesus and love me. Now is the time for us to consider adoption and foster care to make sure these little ones have a place to be. It's a, it's a big ask, right? Adoption? Foster care? Sir, there's a big thing. It's not to be entered into lightly, but what if God's calling some of us to enter into those places? Now is the time to come alongside moms and dads trying to raise children on their own. Say, how, how do we help? How do we love? How do we do this better? Now is the time to be hospitable to our neighbors and co-workers and show them the love of Christ, even ones who are completely different side of the aisle, knowing the time's going to come when brokenness will hit them. We want to be there to shine the light of Christ. Now is the time, I think, to do less shouting and more serving, less posting and more praying. To just be the church again. Just remember who we are again. To, to block out all the distractions and say, set our gaze on you, Jesus. We love your truth. We believe your truth. We want to say your truth. We want to show your truth. Now is the opportunity to savor these amazing truths again, to speak them in humble and courageous ways that expose lies and invite into the life-saving truth and to show the love of Christ in our families, our church, our neighborhoods, our workplaces as we seek to love like we've first been loved. And if we do that, again, I'm not, I'm not up here hoping for some heroic rush of adrenaline. What I would really love is if we all embraced and enjoyed this truth again and just looked around in our families, looked around in our church, looked around in our neighborhoods, looked around in these suburbs and said, Lord, how do I show that I love this truth? What, what are you calling me to? So we're going to to sing a song of reflection, ask you to pray about that, and then we're going to come and eat and drink with Jesus in just a moment. So I'm just going to pray for us as they come up. Lord, as we look at these texts, we are reminded of how sweet your truths are. And Lord, we want to say them with clarity and humility. We want to show them in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our church. So Lord, even now as we reflect on our lives, Lord, just show us what you want from us. Show us what you have for us. Show us how to be the church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 
1-800-285-5415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.